I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. Over the past 20 years, Australians have embraced and accepted as a rite of passage. On uh, Garbage Collection Day, we wheel the the yellow top and wheelie bin to the curb. We wait for the truck to come along. It throws the bin into the truck. And many of us give little, if any, thought to uh, how it's given, what we actually do with the material, only to see the truck drive up the road. So what really happens after the bin has been emptied? Where do the contacts go? And how do they, are they sorted? In my podcast today, I'm in the studio with me, I'm talking with Dean Caton, General Manager at uh, Northern Territory Recycling Services in Darwin, the home of Australia's arguably most remote, but also most modern new materials recycling facility. Welcome, Dean. And uh, before we start, who is uh, NTRS and what does the company do, mate? Yeah, hi, Rick. Um, NTRS is a, a waste recycling company. Um, we've been operation in Darwin now for uh, 14 years. Um, our base was founded on recycling. We started out as a cardboard recycling company only um, and morphing into what we are today, uh, being you know, having over 30 vehicles, um, as you said, uh, a world-class MRF. Um, and operating and, and sorting all sorts of uh, materials and wastes, liquids, um, solid waste, construction waste, everything, you name it. So you differentiate yourself from a traditional waste management company because your core services are all about recycling, recovery and, and uh, yeah, diversion. Absolutely. So, yeah, one of our you know, primary ethos in the business is making sure we reduce how much material is going to landfill. For the listeners listening to this about the... Uh, uh, when we talk about MRFs, what is it? What does it do? What, so what does MRF, a MRF do, yeah, mate? Yeah, people, a lot of people have spelled MRFs very different ways, but essentially it's MRF, which is Materials Recycling Facility. So essentially uh, what your MRF does um, is takes pretty much everything you, you put in your yellow top bin at home, um, as well as other commercial uh, commingled recycling, um, and sorts that all into different uh, material streams so that you can... Um, have a market for those and, and they can be uh, recycled and reused. So we don't want to get them confused with Smurfs of the old days. Yeah, no. Ours, <laughs> uh, parts of ours is blue, but that's about it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, operating recycling business in some in a location such as Darwin, it's a long way from uh, the eastern seaboard where the mainstream uh, markets are. It's a long way from anywhere, really. Yeah. So operating a business in this part of the region and to do the investment that you're actually done with recycling, um, why and and how, how did you come to the realisation that you needed to actually get into this new facility? Um, oh, we saw a need in the in the market to be able to, you know, sort recycling in a, in a really efficient and to produce a quality product. Um, and that was when we were looking at, you know, buying a MRF, um, one of the key uh, issues for that and us was making sure we could produce quality bales of material so we could ensure, you know, the challenge we've got here is distance. Um, so you need to make sure you've got a quality product um, so that there's always going to be a market for that to be to be sold. Sure. 
Yeah, the, and I, I think that's the, the key to it. You've got to have quality. If you've got quality, you can get rid of it any day of the week. If you've got mixed material and it's contaminated, you're in a world of pain. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, no question. So are all MRFs the same around Australia or are there secret bits that differentiate, that give that sort of competitive advantage to give a better quality? Um, in some respects, they all they all do the same sort of thing. They all sort waste. Um, the the differences are how well they do that, um, and certainly our machine um, has an optical sorting head, uh, which basically is able to identify all of our containers um, through size, shape, uh, and colour, and then automatically sort those into uh, the appropriate storage. So that's pretty sort. significantly, that's sophisticated. That's that's sort of that secret bit yeah, in the middle of the Traditionally people have, uh, you know, companies have people standing on a line with material coming past manually picking those, uh, whereas um, our machine, you know, basically, you know, runs all day uh, by itself and, and does that process but automatically. You, but, yeah, but you still have the human intervention at the very beginning, don't you? So you have that first visual inspection point to make sure what's coming up the line is not yep. going to actually damage. So there's a misconception, I think, a lot of the time. People think it's all very sophisticated, but there is actually in any MRF that human intervention, isn't that that no, first point? Yeah, certainly, the the initial phases of a MRF are very manual. So, and then there's no MRF that's any different to that yeah. process. So, um, there's lots of stuff that go into the yellow bins, unfortunately, that shouldn't. Um, so, you know, the key is trying to remove those at the start of the process, so the rest of the process can work efficiently. I recall the MRF that I owned many years ago. Um, I walked out and saw the all the workers running in all different directions and couldn't work out what it was and someone had thrown a black snake in one of the bins and uh, this black snake was merrily going down the conveyor belt at a million miles an hour with the bottles and the paper and the cans and cleared the murph out. Yeah, I'm sure it would have. Certainly we haven't seen any snakes to date uh, yet, but, um, yeah, there's, you know, you get flares, we've had gas bottles, you get, you know, um, pillows, shoes, you know, how people think these are recyclable, I'm not sure. Um, and then, the, the, you know, the, the dangerous part of it is, you know, needles and things like that, which are, you know, very yeah. unsafe for, for people to try and handle. Well, starting at the beginning, and I guess that's a, a interesting point where, so I've put my recyclables into my yellow hop recycling bin, I've put it to the curb and I'm eagerly waiting for the truck to come along. Mm-hmm. What happens at that point? So what what actually uh, happens once that truck picks that up material and how does it pick it up? Yeah, so basically the recycling trucks that pick up um, commingled waste um, don't compress the waste like they would in a normal general waste truck because um, if you compress it too much then it destroys the integrity of the containers and reduces um, how, uh, how well they can be sorted by the MRF. So typically all of the recycling trucks have a a sort of compaction rate that they have to work to um, and that limits how many bins can get into that, that truck. Um, from there, once the truck gets back to our yard, it's weighed, um, the truck dumps the, the load on the floor um, and that process, if there's any, you know, we just do a general inspection of that pile to make sure there's no pieces of pipe or tubing or nasty things that can wrap around shafts and cause damage to the machine. So they're removed and... Um, the rest of the material is then loaded into a hopper um, and goes up onto our pre-sort belt. So basically that's a, a number of people standing there um, removing any of the known contaminants and general waste items, um, which is generally you know, sort of up here um, with average between 20 to 25%. Contamination, Contamination in the material. Contamination, yep, before we start. 
Um, so one in five items that are in the recycling bin, one or five in mass terms, yep. is, shouldn't be going in. That's, that's Correct. That's so. certainly above industry average, but I suppose with the transient population that we have in Darwin, yeah, and that is, it's potentially yeah. an issue. Yeah, yeah, there's, and there's lots of stuff in there, steel, like all the things I mentioned before, plastic bags. Total, one of the big things that people do wrong is put their recyclables in a plastic bag and put that plastic bag in their recycling bin. Yeah, it's a no-no, and, isn't and it? once you do that, that whole bag is general waste. Yes, you um, just don't have the time. You just don't have the time to sit there and open up bags and, and then you don't know what's inside that bag and potentially you're just opening up a whole heap of waste and then you have that issue. So that's probably one of the, the big no-nos. Yeah. The, the investment into your plant here, because it is quite sophisticated, if, for the listeners it's effectively two lines with a couple of transition points on it where we pull the material out. So step us through the actual plant itself actually yeah. to give a bit of a visual idea. Yeah, so basically, yeah, you have your pre-sort. Once you're through your pre-sort, Basically, you should just be left with recycled products, if or recyclable products, I should say. Um, from there, we have uh, what we call our cardboard screen, um, which basically all of our cardboard passes across the top of that, and it's just a series of rotating discs. Um, so that eliminates all your big pieces of cardboard out of the process. All the rest of the containers fall through, and we have a, a glass breaker underneath that so that takes all the glass out of the process because glass is very abrasive and if you don't pull it out early it can destroy the equipment. Um, from there the rest of the materials which are smaller bits of cardboard, uh, paper um, and all of your containers, so plastic bottles, aluminium cans, steel cans, etc. pass up through another line onto another screen and that screen pulls out and it basically once again it's just a series of rotating discs uh, so paper and smaller bits of cardboard pass up over the top of that screen and all of your containers fall down the bottom. The containers then pass across um, to our containers line where there's a magnet to pull out any of our steel cans and then everything else flows through our optical sorting head. Uh, and, and that optical sorting head, which is electronic, how many items would that sort going through uh, the process? Yeah, so we can sort 10 different ways. Wow. Uh, so with seven of those being different types plastic sort. So. so it's running down the conveyor and the, the electronics are picking it up mm -hmm. and it's saying that's a that's a plastic bottle of PET white, that's yep. a PET green, that's milk. Yep. So it bag. identifies that product um, at that point, then it runs down a conveyor line and when it gets to the appropriate point along that line, it shoots out a shot of air and pushes it into a storage bunker. So in processing terms, it's giving you a, a significantly good quality material? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then we, we also have a, uh, a QC point um, after that as well just to make sure that the, you know, the machine has done a good job and if there's <laughs> anything that has got caught up because occasionally get two containers go through next to each other and it can shoot them both into the one bunker. Um, so there's another QC point to uh, pull any of those you know, issues out. When you consider the, the location of Darwin in, in terms of to the community and because we don't you know, have a massive community up here. I think the territory's got about 300,000 people in itself. The decision by the company to invest such a sophisticated piece of plant, what sort of money did you spend into the local community or was spent locally to uh, to put this investment in? Yeah, so we spent, you know, the, the whole project was $3.5 million, um, including an addition of a weigh bridge to our site as well um, to, to weigh our waste coming in. So, um, and certainly we used a lot of local contractors um, to Darwin 
um, to do that, but certainly the machinery um, was purchased through an Australian supplier. Yeah. And I think that's the important part of this is the sophistication and the, the confidence the company's showing in actually uh, investing in this because, uh, you know, there's a lot of... A lot of noise around at the moment about markets and recyclables mm. and 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 the and the lack of, or that there's a perception the yellow bin is actually uh, all ending up in landfill. That is a wrong perception, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. people say that to us, and I say, well, we didn't spend three and a half million dollars for nothing. So, if we just wanted to take it to the tip, we'd just take it to the tip, and we'd save a whole lot of time and effort. So. Um, the reason we spent the amount of money we did was to make sure we could produce a quality product, which guaranteed us being, having access to markets for that product at the end of the day. And I think from Murphy's point of view or from the recycling point of view, the the damage this negativity is doing to the to the community, it's, it's undermining confidence in the fact that, um, oh, well, we'll just put, it, put the rubbish in with our recycling bin because it all goes to landfill anyway, doesn't it? And that yeah, then absolutely. poses a significant problem to you here. Because all of a sudden your contamination starts to creep up. Yep. You're responsible for getting rid of that. And then we're getting a dirtier product. So it's a, that's that fulfilling that circular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So certainly the, you know, the, the less contaminant in the product, the more efficient our machine is and the, you know, the better it works so, and the, the better separation we have. So um, the noise in the market and generally you know, isn't helpful. Um, and, but it does relate to the fact that some people aren't producing the quality through their MRFs um, and they are forced to send product to landfill that shouldn't ordinarily go there. And I think that's where, uh, from a Darwin perspective, you had the container refund scheme. So you had to design your system to accommodate removal of those from the beginning. Absolutely. Rather than yep. retrofit and where we've introduced in other states we've in, to, rather than retrofit the facility. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, you know, the, the container deposit scheme was integral in our thinking when we are building the MRF um, in just terms of maximising the separation of those materials. Once we've got it through the process, we've got them uh, all the plastics in the different bins, and we bale them or block them up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what happens to jelly jam jar and paper peat once we've actually moved the material through? What do we do? What happens to the material streams? Sure, the container deposit material goes off to the the scheme coordinators, who are then responsible for selling that product um, onto the the open market and um, reprocessing. Um, we're left with a range of material streams, so, you know, typically cardboard, um, office paper, um, HDPE, plastic, PET plastic, aluminium cans, steel. Um, basically, the, most of our commodity products we offer up um, and, and sell those uh, to mostly um, overseas purchases. So the cardboard and paper uh, usually goes to Indonesia given the, their proximity to Darwin. Sure. Um, and it's generally cheaper to send it uh, there than it is eastern states or southern states. And I think there's a misconception. The reality Australians are very good recyclers. Um, the last statistics I saw, I think we were generating about 1.5 million tonnes more than we had internal capacity to process. Mm-hmm. So we are reliant on that international market. Yeah, uh, and plastics sure. and plastics was about a hundred thousand tonnes in the, in the positive. So we had to find some places there. Yeah, absolutely. We're, but... Like one of this bring, leads me to the market issue is I think do you do you see any take up of the uh, uh, any levels of government in the territory genuinely using recycled content or culturally is there a shift in that direction or do you think they still think it's a responsibility of the industry to find homes for it? Yeah, certainly here I think there's still the government thinks that that's industry's problem. Um, certainly 
uh, we're capable of producing some materials, um, especially, you know, waste glass is a huge problem around the country, um, but it's been proven that that product can be used um, in road bases, asphalts, as sand substitutes. Um, it'd be nice for local um, and federal governments to mandate that that product should be used. Um, to because the quality that we can produce out of these recycling facilities, you know, you, it's sophisticated. It's a quality product that's actually coming. It should give people the confidence that it, just because it's secondary material, it's not rubbish that we're trying to get rid of. No, absolutely. And certainly, you know, a, a quality glass aggregate um, has been shown to have better strength qualities than sand uh, when used in concrete, for instance. Is that right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I saw something the other day, I think it was EDI Downer, and now producing, they did a trial in Adelaide using yeah. a plastic They've put plastic into uh, the, the, the emulsion yep. for uh, and making roads out of it. So it, it's yeah, really about the can do. a combination of plastic and glass. Oh, really? Uh, in in the same product. Yeah, that's pretty so, cool, isn't yeah, it? It's awesome. Yeah. And you and you wonder why we can't, you know, um, stimulate that in something. I think from a Darwin perspective, because we we are so far from everywhere, we do need to get that um, localized. Yeah, focus. for sure. Especially for glass, it's a it's a heavy product. It's expensive to ship. So the more that we can use locally um, and keep out of landfill, uh, it's going to be a better outcome for everybody. The opportunities, I guess, uh, NTRS in a more broader, broader sense, you provide quite a sophisticated recycling service because your whole business model's around it. Mm. What what other materials do you do and what are the opportunities for if people are listening outside of the Darwin region, Alice Springs, um, Catherine or whatever? Yeah, what? certainly recycling activities other than around the central Darwin area are limited, I think. So um, certainly there's opportunities um, in terms of consolidation and then moving that product to a, you know, a larger facility like ours to be sorted efficiently. Certainly we have lots of remote communities and areas that, um, you know, everything just ends up in a hole in the ground. So um, there's certainly opportunity out there. It's a matter of weighing up obviously the commercial aspects of that to move product and have that efficiency rather than just... NTRS, because of your the, the ethos of the company and under um, your founder, Leon uh, Schulz, I guess from a from a business point of view, what else do you do? You, you touched upon briefly that's about the burfing, but what else do we... What else does the company do in Darwin or the Northern Territory for recycling and recovery? Uh, one of the other main ones is with our uh, waste oil and oily water processing facility. So All right. um, a few years ago we built a facility that uh, can basically handle um, any sort of waste oil and oily water. Uh, oily water basically is we separate the water from the oil, um, we treat the, the remaining water to remove any hydrocarbons and then basically that gets discharged to sewer under our trade waste agreement. Um, all the remaining oil we basically consolidate and we send over to Southern Oil in Queensland who re-refine that product into a base oil lubricant. So um, historically um, in Darwin, waste oil has been um, burnt mm -hmm. um, as a, a means of getting rid of it, whereas our product, um, yeah, basically all gets totally recycled. And I think that uh, plant over in Gladstone is now doing some work with the US Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing also some other helicopter um, lubricants and other yeah, materials. Right. So, yep. you know, you're actually you're actually fulfilling that dream, aren't you, of For making sure. sure of it recycling? Yeah, and that's it's, you know, it's a really positive thing, and it certainly flowed on with how we do things. Um, from a yellow top recycling bin, um, are we doing enough? Do you think to understand 
educate the household or the user to actually what should be in the bin or what shouldn't be in the bin? Do you think the system, we've got a lot of, and I'll get, this is probably an unfair question, but the system in many terms is is slightly broken in yeah. today um, because we've we've managed to become, it's become in many spaces a de facto rubbish bin. Do you reckon there's movement to retweak that system or what, what do we do to improve it? Uh, yeah, I think part of the difficulty, and we touched on it early, that there's lots of different MRFs and lots of different configurations, so the rules aren't always the same. Um, and the problem with the moment with a lot of the publicity and information that's out there is it's national and so what might be happening in New South Wales in one particular area could be completely different to what the rules apply locally. So... I think that's something that, you know, council areas need to be cognizant of and make sure that their information that they're giving to their residents about what can and can't be resolved and what you should put in your bin in your area is relevant. And I think that's from a Darwin perspective or the Northern Territory perspective, here we have very sophisticated MRF. We have a very um, uh, quality product coming out of it. So the confidence factor to the Territorians is, guys, you are actually having your materials recycled, they are not going to landfill. They're actually ending up in quality places as, as quality materials. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and certainly the City of Darwin um, last year uh, had a, a, a community sort of information session, if you like, and as part of that they invited people to come and have a tour around our MRF, which we supported because um, it's certainly getting the message out there about what we've got and what we are doing on a daily basis. So... Um, yeah, that's just about education and information. Was it well received? Uh, it was. You know, we we didn't have hundreds of people through, but um, we just probably, you probably don't want probably good. Of but um, <laughs> but um, with, yeah, it was good to see that people were interested, and there were some people in the, and hopefully they talked to other people, and that sort of flows on. So, so if the regional uh, communities wanted to actually get into uh, recycling, that you have the capability here to actually bring that back, bulk it out. And put, and put it back through the, the facility and then make yeah, the quality product. Yeah, absolutely. Our MRF, um, one of the challenges of building our MRF was buying a MRF small enough for, for really? the volume here. Yeah, so even with the machine we've got, we've probably got 40% capacity uh, as it currently stands on that machine. So, um, yeah, we've got plenty of room for extra volume to come and, through. And you've got markets to put that material because you're, yeah, you're, you're sorting it. What yep. next for NTRS? Where do you uh, where do you go next? You've, you've, you're not going to sit back on your laurels, knowing the company that's done that in the past. You've uh, gone into oil recycling. What 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 do you see as a future area for focus? Um, yeah, certainly. As I mentioned briefly before, we're looking at glass uh, processing to produce glass aggregates and a product that can be used uh, other than just you know uh, as a waste product. So um, we're trying to engage with councils and local governments to use that product. So that's certainly one of the major prospects for us uh, in the future. Um, whilst we process people's curbside recycling, we're not collecting too much of it at this stage. So that's certainly something we'd like to expand into uh, in the dis Excellent. not too distant future. Well, from Australia's most remote uh, recycling facility, but certainly I think arguably one of Australia's uh, most modern Dean, thanks for joining me today, mate. I, uh, I, I wish you all best endeavours with recycling and uh, uh, for those listeners that are in the Territory, you can be given the confidence the company is leading the way and is doing something with it, with your recyclables. Thanks, Rick. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, mate.